the medicine power is not dying out. In fact, it is coming again to many of our young people. Years ago, they were saying that one day there would be no medicine people, but we were not fooled at all. We knew that we would not die out. We knew that one day, as though it had begun overnight, the power would be seen to be returning again. Now it is coming back strong, and I see it returning among other people, too, people who had once lost their identity and their trail, their way of life. We've been working close cooperation with Buckminster Fuller uh, and uh, Casey Foundation. About some people have done a lot of uh, research, ancient ways of doing things. In other words, we're doing things, not just little things. And we know we put together what each person knows. I don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the knowledge. But a lot of these young people been to school and want to put their education to something useful. And some of them have studied about scientific things. And they find out the scientific things, when used right, are in no way in conflict with their religious teachings wherever they come from. And so we put the different energies of different people together, and then we use it for the common good. This is Rolling Thunder, Part 8, Meta Tante, the last of an eight-part program on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. We know that the brotherhood that the world seeks, that it'll start from this land. It's already started. It started at a huge medicine meeting, I think it was about 1968 in Oklahoma that I attended. And that among the tribes, when the medicine men of this land, Canada, Mexico, and some came from Guam, way out in the South Pacific, no letter had been sent, no message. And they, yet they showed up. And some from West Indian Islands, where we heard, had heard those people were extinct also, and they showed up. And when we joined hands at the last day, and a board was brought out with writing on it, and read and interpreted, and the peace pipe was lit to the sun, and passed around, stayed lit around that huge circle. And when it was explained then, at this day the tribes of this land were reunited in the spirit, and that if any of our brothers needed help, any time we would go there and help in whatever way we could. And so those things have all come to pass. But it was also explained that there will come a day, not too far distant, when other peoples would be invited into this circle. 
and that this circle would extend around the world. So that's why we know that the brotherhood and the peace that some of the other governments and some of the other religions don't seem to want to talk about. And we're not bashful. Because a wrong is a wrong, regardless of who does it, even a politician. And uh, that uh, the things are going to have to be put back into the proper order. And if people can't do it, or think they can't do it, then there's going to be other forces step in to clean it up. And it's not too long coming. I know in your Bible, I've read it once. And it says something about day of judgment. We call it day of purification. And much wisdom, even in that book too, there's still much wisdom if they wouldn't misinterpret it and pay attention to it. Other religions also have much wisdom and have much ancient teachings, which it's all based on. But if they only pick out the parts they want to hear and then ignore the parts that have the real meaning, the religion does them no good, or it'd be empty, or they lose their power, and the power to protect the earth and the nature, or the power to protect their people from these evils. It's not good enough to talk about these evils. Our religion is an activist religion. One of the, uh, <laughs> one of the puzzles uh, that I used to have in, in school, studying the American Indian in particular, were the cases of the anthropologists who would go and live with a tribal people on a reservation and they'd be gone for a year or two years and three years and uh, they wouldn't publish any papers and they would disappear and, and somebody would go in after them and there would be the anthropologist uh, dressed in a native fashion living in his native uh, home with sometimes a wife and kids saying uh, go away I don't you know I'm, I'm an Indian now <laughs> and when I started in, in anthropology I yeah. didn't understand but I understand now oh, how that well, could happen well uh, thank you and it shows that there's intelligent people among all people they may not have a big handle like anthropologists but uh, some of, I've heard some of the Indians of where we come from uh, mention like, uh, uh, what would they think of us? If we give ourselves a long title, uh, some kind of a hypodeuteram or whodunit, and, uh, and uh, had it signed on a piece of paper, and go digging up their grave. And uh, there'd be a lot of excitement. And uh, I've mentioned that to some of them people, you know, in other museums and different places. And I get some of the answers, uh, stupidest answers. I, I don't think we ought to even talk about it. <laughs> it's different. Uh, some way, other form or fashion, that's different. But those people have a fetish. That's my word for it. I think I'm correct. Uh, about Indian bones. And I don't know how else it could be. Otherwise, in the museums, why is it they'll have... Uh, uh, they don't have any uh, Chinese uh, white people on display, uh, uh, colored people on display, or any of the others. But Indian, they want him there in that glass case. And uh, 
they don't stop at nothing to go and dig up our graves. So I'd say it's a, some of their secret whoosh and through their ignorance that they're going to find something. Like uh, they were trying to prove that we recently came here in the first place. They want to scientifically prove it for themselves that we walked across the Bering Strait or somehow that we had to come from somewhere else. And uh, in uh, recent years, their views improved slowly as they uh, gather more knowledge. But uh, uh, they first said we'd been here only, uh, I can remember back 5,000 years, that uh, we'd only been here 5,000 years. <coughs> and they discovered the Fulton points. And they said then we'd been here, uh, give us a benefit of uh, 10,000 years. And they dug a little deeper, and they discovered the carbon-14 way of dating. And so then they decided, well, let's say we'd been here 50,000 years. They're getting smarter all the time. <laughs> and we know, in the first place, we were here from the beginning. And there were migrations later, Many of them, just like any place else in the world, there were migrations across to Alaska. There were migrations from Africa. There were migrations uh, like uh, the Norrisman, Leif Erikson, all that. That's known among the people too. And it's all known uh, long before Columbus and long before these people that are doing these amateur things uh, right now, looking into the past and their history and everything when they don't even seem to know how to start, much less than what they're going to get into and in doing that. Uh, some of these bones, I understand, some years back in a glass case in some museum right here in Los Angeles. And I wasn't able to come down here at that time, but I did hear that some of our brothers and sisters here in Los Angeles warned them to take those out and return them to the Indian people. It seems like they laughed at them at first, and uh, the Indians persisted, and they got angry with them, and they threw some Indians in jail here in Los Angeles. And it was right after that that they had a earthquake that knocked down some of these overpasses and killed a few people, and it was considerable millions of dollars worth of damage at that time. The story of Richard Oakes' near-fatal injury and his recovery in a San Francisco hospital at the hands of two medicine men was well publicized in the Bay Area when it happened in January 1970. Now Mad Bear told me the whole story. He had been in Oklahoma with Peter Mitten, a venerable medicine man about whom I'd heard many stories from Rolling Thunder, when Oakes was hit on the head with a cue stick in a San Francisco pool hall and taken unconscious to a hospital. In the time in which I'd come to know Mad Bear, I'd learned that he is a highly sophisticated and articulate medicine man who has traveled widely and lived and studied with Druids, Vikings, Tibetans, Hindu yogis, and Aboriginal peoples in Asia and Africa. Yet when he spoke of Peter Mitten, I got the impression that his relationship to Mitten was as to the teacher. In Oklahoma, Peter Mitten told Mad Bear that he felt someone was calling him from way out west. Someone wanted him, but he did not think he would go. I'm not of that land, said Peter Mitten. There are medicine men who work out there. Why should they call me? Rolling Thunder had explained that in the old days there was a medicine man for every area, 
and then unless he were specifically asked or were granted permission, a medicine man did not practice in another medicine man's domain. But someone came physically all the way from California to Oklahoma. They had found out where Peter Mitten was, and they'd tried to reach him in an Indian way. When he didn't respond, they'd sent a man all the way to Oklahoma to speak to him. The man told Peter Mitten they'd been calling him for days. I know, Peter Mitten admitted. The man explained what had happened to Richard Oakes. He was nearly dead. Richard Oakes had been in a coma for days, and the doctors believed he would not live. He would have wanted a medicine man attend to him, and that was his wife's wish now. It was the only hope. There are others there. Why should they need me? Peter Mitten was firm. The situation was not only urgent, but also complicated. Richard Oakes was dying in a white man's hospital. As was the way of white establishment doctors, they would neither let their patient out nor let others in to try to save him, even though they themselves had little hope. Peter Mitten went to California with Mad Bear. They arrived at the hospital in San Francisco, and it became Mad Bear's task to conduct the negotiations. There was a great deal of talk which used up precious hours because even though the doctors had given up all hope for Oaks, they were highly reluctant to allow two medicine men to practice in their hospital. They talked to one doctor first and finally to several doctors. Many times they waited while the doctors conferred in other rooms. It is the request of the dying man that we should see him, Mad Bear explained. If he were a Catholic and wanted a priest, you would allow it. But he has been unconscious all the time, and he cannot request anything, much less see anybody, was the retort. In that case, his wife's request is as good as his own, and she has spoken for him. It is not necessary that he see us for us to do what we have to do, Mad Bear contended. Under the circumstances, since Richard Oakes was an Indian, it was possible for the doctors to regard these two medicine men as religious personages rather than medical. It might have been easy for them to get to spend a religious moment over the bed of the dying man as the doctors watched, but what they needed was time alone and unwatched so they could perform Indian medicine. At first, the doctors wanted to know beforehand exactly what the medicine men planned to do so they could object to some step in the procedure if they wished. They then insisted that they at least be allowed to watch. The patient would be in an observation room and they could watch the procedure through the window. When Mad Bear had made it clear that they would allow no observation, the physicians began to insist again that the procedure be discussed and approved beforehand. Each time the doctors left the room for their private conference, they came back with a new stipulation. Each time Mad Bear refused to meet it, he insisted that they be allowed privacy with Oakes. And the doctors continually objected. Mad Bear talked and talked, and all the while Peter Mitten remained silent, still, and stoic. The doctors at last agreed to allow Mad Bear and Peter Mitten to be with Richard Oakes, alone and unobserved, for as long as they needed, if the medicine men would sign a statement taking the responsibility for whatever happened to Richard Oakes. Mad Bear was angered. He felt this was unjust. While the doctors had been coming and going, Mad Bear had been talking to a reporter from the San Francisco Chronicle who had been following the Richard Oakes case. The reporter was waiting because he learned the doctors believed Oakes would not survive for another twelve hours. You believe Oakes will die today whether we see him or not, 
Mad Bear protested. How can you ask us to sign such a thing? Peter Mitten spoke his first words. Be quiet and sign, he said. He is dying as you talk. Now we have our chance, and you want to go on arguing. I'll sign the thing. What difference could it make? So Peter Mitten and Mad Bear signed the paper, saying they would accept full responsibility for whatever happened to Richard Oakes. Immediately they were taken to the room where Oakes lay unconscious. A nurse waited outside the door in case they needed anything. Oakes was indeed dying. There was discoloration around the chest and barely a trace of life. The spirit was leaving the body. They would have to act fast. Peter Mitten told Mad Bear that they should have a pair of birds to fly about his head. I got a couple of birds in the room, Mad Bear told me, and while I was doing that, Peter Mitten brought back the normal color in Oak's chest. Then he wanted some hot water that had just been boiled, so I opened the door to ask the nurse for the water. She had a real strange look on her face. I thought I heard birds in there, she said. So I just told her, yeah, I opened the window, and she said, oh. Richard Oakes regained consciousness. He recovered. He was here at our powwow, and he looked fine. I'm going to tell you one little story, and pardon our language, because I'm pretty plain spoken. But I'm going to tell you one little story anyway about a friend of mine. I'm not the only one that's a medicine person. I don't make any claims. I don't try to prove anything. And there's another one, a good friend of mine, not far north of here, called Shea Mu. He's from California. And there's a young white uh, fellow, he's uh, half Jewish and half German. And he came into the camp bringing his favorite guru with him. And uh, I don't doubt what he's a good man, and they're both good men. Fact is, this young fellow is one of the best-hearted people I've ever met. But he was quite confused. He'd been to two universities, highly educated, and he dropped out of the business world because he couldn't take it. And so anyway, he came in with his uh, guru, introduced him to Shemu. And so this young man immediately got down on his knees to kiss Shemu's feet. Shemu told him, Stand up, he says, uh, no, he says, uh, get off your ass. Stand up like a man and pull off that dress. Now, five years later, that young man is still there. And he told me not too long ago, he don't know what he would do if he ever had to go back into that other world. He's living with the Indians, married now, got a family, and adopted with the Indians. And yet, he don't want to go back into this other world. Now, I still say that people have to choose their own trail. We don't compete with nobody. We stand on our own feet. And when they come into our camp, the only thing I'll tell you right now, they're expected to respect our way. And uh, if we go among other people, we try to respect their way. And... Uh, they're not permitted, not only drugs, no drugs, no alcohol, no violence. They also can't even talk about other religions at that time.
Now, what they do before they come there, what they do after they leave there, that's their business. And if they come there to learn from us, they're going to learn. And if they come there and already know the answers, then they don't fit, and they're encouraged to, to travel on where they'd be happier and might fit. We had one young man up there had been taught to meditate, been into meditation. And uh, I want to tell this one because uh, I think it's a good one. He's 14 years old. He'd been down here in California. One day he borrowed the pocket knife of uh, Kachayo, one Indian there. And the uh, next day Kachayo wanted his pocket knife back. He says, oh, I haven't got that no more. I meditated over in a different dimension. So I went out and got a hold of this young man, and uh, I asked him, I says, uh, is that right? Did you meditate that pocket knife over in a different dimension? And he says, yes, I can do that. Yeah, I says, well, you know, that's pretty good, isn't it? Now, how long did it take you? Not very long. All right, I want you to sit right down here and don't bet an eye and meditate that knife back. I know since you could put it over there, you can also bring it back. And it's not right to take that man's knife. <laughs> well, he did. He meditated it back and gave it back to the man. some bad Indians we don't want to get together we have nothing in common they've sold out their people or they've sold out the booze or they've sold out the foreign religion they've violated everything that they were ever taught and those kind of Indians we don't want to get together but neither do we want to get together with any more of the white people who also are not sincere and we have nothing, those that we have nothing in common with. I figure most, all you people that are in here right now are uh, sincere. You've asked the 
first test. You had to wait quite a while out there in the hall. And I know you're all tired and sleepy, and it's late. But the Great Spirit is testing all the time. All of us. Me too. All of us. We're tested through this life all the time. And I've seen a lot of people walk away. That's what I wanted. We don't, like some of these big shot gurus, want six million followers. I'll never have six million followers. Uh, maybe six here and six there and so on. I see them everywhere I go anymore. But uh, so far as uh, having six million followers, like the fat boy, or a lot of people like uh, <laughs> like uh, Billy Grimm, you know, he turned on Nixon. But look what happened to Nixon. <laughs> and look what happened to the fat boys. Oh, mama disowned him. Well, I don't want to get in that kind of a condition. And so uh, I'm better off. I'm better off with six that are true than I would be with him with six million. And I can do more with six that are true than that fellow can with six million. And he can have his Cadillacs. I don't want it. I like the wiki of them and our shacks. And I'm satisfied. I'm happy. And that's more than them. Now, if you want to see Indian medicine, you just have to watch everything that's going on and maybe you'll see something. Whatever takes place that might interest you is just going to happen as a part of all the work. We can't isolate some particular activity and do it just to be doing it. It all has to be part of the work. And if I'm going to be doctoring, there's no telling when that might be. I might doctor somebody tomorrow and then again I might not. But if I do or when I do, it's more likely to be out there than here. I don't like to do any doctoring here in the house. For one thing, it's best to be in a natural setting, and for another thing, it's not good for the house. If everyone would start coming in here to be doctored, it would get pretty heavy. I've had trouble here before when I've doctored people with mental and emotional problems, and then those problems kept hanging around here in the house. Some of them are pretty persistent and pretty destructive. There are ways to handle those things, too, but I shouldn't have to be thinking about that all the time in my own home. This is where I live and rest, and this is where I have my family. So my hope is to have a good place to doctor people, even a place where people can stay. Then when you go back to the Manager Foundation, you can tell them that I would be willing to work with some of their patients. I would be willing to take some referrals from the right psychiatrists if I could do it in my own place and if I could accept or reject whomever I wanted. Of course, there are things those doctors up at the Menninger Foundation know that I don't know, but there are a lot of things they don't know, and these are things that I could help with. Some of these things might sound strange to these doctors, like some of the cases they call schizophrenia, and some other cases where people are influenced by other beings. Sometimes a part of a person's energy is taken by another, Sometimes people get spaced out on drugs and things, and other beings come in and try to take over. And sometimes two spirits try to occupy one body. Doctors' training is very limited, and they have little awareness or curiosity outside their training. Some of them are even trained to be cynical. But they have no need to go by their feelings. They have a chance now to see how these things work. It's high time doctors and medicine men started working together. There's many different trails, and we should respect each other. They're not all the same, and we don't make any such false claims. 
but originally they were the same. Not too many years back, oh, it's been 15 years ago, so short period of time, there were Indians who were like complected, and that was prophesied there would be some. Sons of medicine men and chiefs mostly, for the most part, who were given special training, and they would learn it was prophesied that they would learn to dress in a white man's way. They had learned the white man's language and go to school, be sent off to school. And then they would travel all over the world, two together, into all religions and all countries. Well, that's been done. And out of those different religions, of the Christian, 52 different ones, we found one that was true. We were looking for our brothers all over the world. And out of 52 different groups of the Buddhists, we found one that was true. And out of 52 different groups of the Muslim, one that was true. Now don't ask me which ones. You're supposed to find your own trail. And you'll be your own judge. And I've sat even in a Mormon temple where they don't allow no one but Mormons. And I've been, traveled some, met many other people. But that monkey suit I used to have to wear, pardon the language, I don't see many people dressed like that here anyway in this audience. It's been hanging in a closet now for years and got dust on it, a necktie and all. And, uh, and I, I don't think, I might not ever have to wear it again. And I hope not, because that job has been done. Now we're doing other things. We're creating with our own hands places in the desert where our young people can live and other young people if they can qualify. And we, they join us. We don't join the white man's society no longer. We gave that up. We tried it. A lot of our young people tried it and they got nothing no answers, no direction, nothing from it. So now, we've, our young people coming back to us, but the thousands, they have to have places to come to. And there are many camps like ours. We're not the only one in Canada, all through the Americas, different ones, some that don't want to be known this time. Masonic Auditorium on the morning of Saturday, May 6, 1972, Rolling Thunder spoke to a public audience of nearly 3,000 people. This was part of a new beginning. There had not been a communication like this before. There have been Hollywood Indians, 
commercial Indians and Indian curio craftsmen. There have been traditional Indian speakers from many tribes who have told school children and women's groups about peace pipes, wigwams, and moccasins. There have been eloquent Indian leaders and spokesmen who have presented and represented the ideologies and the needs of their people. But Rolling Thunders was a message of brotherhood, the beginning of a oneness, a true spiritual sharing between the Indian and the non-Indian. He had been asked to speak about his powers, the powers of Indian medicine, but he stood before the audience now to explain that the time for that has not yet arrived. Although there are many new people of good heart and good will who would like to shake hands with the Indian and forget all about the past, that cannot be allowed to happen, not by the Indian nor by the law of karma. The time for the sharing will be right when non-Indians are prepared to meet their Indian brothers on a spiritual level. It's the task of the new friends who would like to share the wisdom and experience of their Indian brothers to bring about the conditions in which meaningful intercourse can take place. Our teachers tell us that it's up to the good white people to correct what the bad ones are doing. We're not supposed to do that for you. There are things that are being done by your government, and we feel that there are a lot of good white people who don't know about these things. It will be up to you to do what you must do in your own way. We are told to do things in our own way. We Indians have to work in our own way, and you people, whatever it is that you know to do, you must do in your own way. We will not tell you what to do because we ourselves do not like being told what to do. You do not claim to have all the knowledge about medicine or whatever, and not all of the knowledge can be put into books. It includes all nature, all of life, and there's too much of it. I will say that we Indians do know some things, the same as other people know some things, and that's why we should share. We would be better off if we could share. We Indians are the keepers of the land. We don't claim that we own the land, and nobody else does either. Some give themselves a paper that says they own so much land, but it does not mean anything. We do not own the land, and certainly nobody else owns it. The Great Spirit owns the land, but it was delegated to us. We are the keepers of the land. Wherever you go on this land, if there are any Indians left, any survivors at all, there will be those among the original people who know the law of life and land and air. That's our job, just like other people are delegated for other things. We are supposed to work together to make life good for all of us, all who live upon this Mother Earth. We don't make any claims or demands. We don't say that the whites should go back to Europe or anything like that. No Indian has ever said that. We say there is room for everyone, that we are supposed to live as brothers and share. That is the way it should be. Your people did not find a bunch of savages here. You got your constitution from the Iroquois nation. Some of your best medicines you got from us, turpentine, quinine, camphor, cocaine, even the penicillin we got out of the mold of the oak log, and we had that long before you came. Much of our knowledge had to be hidden. Much of this is even written in books, but these things are not to be revealed at this time. We do not want to get into any trouble. We do not look for contests, and we do not believe in competition. We flow with nature, and we are guided by the spirit, the spirit of brotherhood and sharing in all things. But until we are all in accord with the spirit, some of these things cannot be revealed. Not too long ago there was an old medicine man named Patrick Sundance 
who was curing cancer and sugar diabetes and other things among the Mormons and other people over in Utah. He was curing a lot of people. Then the American Medical Association had him put on trial, and they gave him the choice of leaving the state or going to jail. That old man was 87 years old. The courtroom was full of people who wanted to testify in his behalf, and they would not let one of them testify. The old man is dead now, but they managed to obtain some of the medicines that he'd been using, and they are still experimenting with his medicines in two universities in this country, trying to discover his secret so that they can begin to cure people as they know he did. The law of this land says that we are all brothers, we are all sisters, and we are all supposed to share. There will come a time, I am sure, when we can all share our knowledge, and that time will be much sooner when you change some of the stupid laws that have repressed my people, like the stupid law that says a man cannot practice his own medicine in his own country and help to put things back in their proper order. These are your laws, not ours. We did not make such laws. We have a different law. We recognize one sovereign only, and that's the Great Spirit. Some people say, I am not like that. I am different. Why can't you do something for me? Well, think about that. Think about where you're at, and then begin to do something to make it better for everyone. Rolling Thunder had often talked to me about karma. The American Indians, like the East Indians, have been talking about karma for centuries. There may well be a word for karma in many of the tribal languages of the American Indians. Now that the new Americans have begun to use the Sanskrit word, Rolling Thunder has also begun to use it. Karma has no relation to the concept of punishment, for the word is used by those who teach that there is no sin. To Rolling Thunder, karma provides opportunity for giving of oneself to all of life. The giving must be active and unselfish. It is non-self-seeking and non-self-indulging. To Rolling Thunder, it is the resolving of karma aims, purposes, obligations, and action that moves one along the path toward enlightenment. Upon this path, psychic powers and psychic phenomena are incidental and secondary. We are born with a purpose in life, and we have to fulfill that purpose. Some of our young men go out when they're 12 or 13 years old and pray and fast at a certain sacred place. They learn their purpose in life. Now we hear of the new young people talking about finding their identity, their place in life, and they are very wise to do that if they can do it. Some of them have, I think, and they're now trying to make things better for other people, which is our only purpose in this life, to share with others. To Rolling Thunder, one's function, identity, and karma are not only individual but also racial, national, and global. Though it might not be said of other people in other places, Rolling Thunder believes it's true of white society in America that what stands first between this society and the realization of a higher human potential is this society's racial karma. Rolling Thunder did not speak that day only about problems and tasks. He talked about his homeland and his travels and about his medicine rituals and some of his patients. He explained how a medicine man must be able to leave the physical plane and to make a conscious trip to the other side. We all live many lifetimes, he said, and it felt as though this idea was no longer strange to hear, even in public. We live many lives, we go through different lives, and sometimes we are able to put together the different lives. That is the way it is. We go from one life to another, and we should have no fear of death. It is just a transition. 
Those who are able to work with concepts of psychic healing and other psychic phenomena would no doubt welcome much more workable hypotheses than the story of the devil and the pearly gates or the postulation that the path of life is from death to death, from nothingness to oblivion. But perhaps they did not expect to hear about reincarnation from an American Indian, yet this has been a major concept or view of life held by virtually all ancient cultures. Pagan means pure in ancient Greek, Rolling Thunder went on, and primitive means first. These are not bad words. They don't mean savage or ignorant. I've done some studying of your history, too, and I know that there are some of your people, your European brothers and sisters, who still believe in the old ways. But some of your ancestors who came here from that land across the water conjured up a hell and a devil. That did not exist before, but they conjured it up, because if you believe in something and believe it long enough, it will come into being. So they created that, and they brought it here with them, and we Indians don't want any part of it. These things we call false teachings. They teach us to fear, to be afraid that we're going to be punished. This is why a person grows up with fears and anxieties and later finds himself seeing a psychiatrist. The medicine power is not dying out. In fact, it is coming again to many of our young people. Years ago they were saying that one day there would be no medicine people, but we were not fooled at all. We knew that we would not die out. We knew that one day, as though it had begun overnight, the power would be seen to be returning again. Now it is coming back strong, and I see it returning among other people, too, people who had once lost their identity and their trail, their way of life. Then Rolling Thunder spoke about San Francisco. Now I'll try to tell you about some spiritual things related to this area. Not too long ago, people had made some predictions that this part of the country was supposed to sink under water, and I was kind of worried about that. Well, in my country, we have a way of coming together, some of the medicine people, the old people, and we compare our dreams and prophecies. One night, an old man who had never been out of his area, in fact, he couldn't speak English, talked about the place called San Francisco. He said, I have seen it like an island, with water most all the way around it. And I've seen it like a mushroom, with one little stem under it, holding it up. So what would that mean to you? Well, we interpret these things. They are all symbolic. The meaning was, of course, that San Francisco had water around it, and that there was a lot of talk about it going under the water at the time, but that there was something good happening that was holding it up. That's what's been going on here. There are a lot of good things that have been happening in San Francisco from way back. So I started looking into this, and I started moving among many different people of many different races. I have met some people who are on a very high spiritual plane, like some of our medicine people. There are certain signs and indications when one meets the right ones, and sometimes it isn't even necessary to talk. Race and language makes no difference. The barriers are gone when persons can come together on high spiritual levels. Every time I come back to San Francisco, I see it much better. There seems to be a kind of a spiritual center here in this area. That's the way it looks to me. That's the feeling I get from it. So I'm going to carry this message back to my people, because, don't forget, while you're interested, and I'm glad you are, in how the Indians live and about our spiritual beliefs in how things will be, we also, as your brothers, are interested in what you are doing. Rolling Thunder walked in his austere and deliberate manner across the stage and down the steps to the aisle. There was a long-standing ovation. So, 
I'll tell you, too, why we came here, why we came to Los Angeles. We were invited down here to talk, that's true. We had some other reasons to come down here. And one of the reasons is that uh, we came down here to see about uh, getting some warm clothing for our people. We're going into winter. And the winters up there are quite severe. It's 47 below zero three winters ago. And this winter, it's uh, going to be cold. It was a, it's a high altitude. It's 5,000 feet on the level. And that's why it gets cold. We don't mind the cold. We do have a few things we need, and we were surprised that when we got here, we also needed an electric generator to do welding with, because we're going to start creating energy from the wind, and not just windmills, not ordinary windmills, not that kind at all, different kind. And uh, we have our own ideas about these things besides some technical experts that have uh, offered their assistance to us. And uh, uh, we've been working close cooperation with Buckminster Fuller uh, and uh, Casey Foundation. About some people have done a lot of a research, ancient ways of doing things. In other words, we're doing things, not just little things. We're also another thing we're going to do is grow the native vegetables that are more hardy and more nutritious than like uh, your tame lettuce, for instance. It's about bred out. It's been tamed so long. And so we know of some of those, I know, a lot of those, and some for stock feed that are better than alfalfa. And those are the kind of things we're doing. We had three big gardens this year. We are raising the biggest part of our own meat already, and we've only been going two years. And so we're not sitting still. And our energy is in peaceful directions, and we know we put together what each person knows. I don't have all the answers. Nobody has all the knowledge. But a lot of these young people been to school and want to put their education to something useful. And some of them have studied about scientific things. And they find out the scientific things, when used right, are in no way in conflict with their religious teachings, wherever they come from. And so we put the different energies of different people together, and then we use it for the common good. And we don't pay any wages or anything like that. Anyone desiring to visit with us sometime, they should write first because we're limited in our capacity as to how many we can take care of at one time. We got hundreds of letters of usually of people waiting to come. Uh, Indians and whites and all different kinds waiting to come. But uh, some, if they give their full name, and uh, what it is they can do, and I do mean uh, what it is they can do or want to do. And uh, I'm not talking about sitting down and meditating all the time. You might be allowed to meditate, but you'd be taught in a different way, and also how to protect yourself and different things so that you wouldn't slip into meditation 
when you didn't want to or you'd have more control of it. And there's uh, ways of doing things. And in uh, other words, these you'd be taught our way. That's why we insist that there we do things the way we know how, whether it's a sweat bath, whether it's a meditation, or whatever it is that uh, we do things the way we know how. And that's what I mean when I say that people join us, we don't join them. And uh, so that's a healthy attitude. It's just a healthy attitude in a matter of respect. And so anyone that thinks they might be interested in trying it, I'd suggest springtime or the summertime. And to bring bedding, write first and describe what it is you're interested in and also what it is you uh, like to do most. Everyone can do something. And we have two girls who didn't want to spend all their time in the kitchen. They took care of the gardens this summer and did a real good job of it. We had women's liberation a long time ago. Our women have been liberated for a long time. And they are the ones who have the most authority. You might be surprised. And they're the only ones that can dehorn a chief or a medicine man to the women. So they're highly respected in our society. You have to learn respect for women. And so that's, uh, I was in a meeting among the Iroquois when a young man is a chief and a medicine man, and I seen it when he was sat down when he got up to talk by the clan mother. And he can never be a chief or a medicine man again. He can come home one time a year at the ceremony for the dead, but he can't stay overnight. And that's how strict we are. That's the kind of culture we have, and that's based on thousands of years. And yet, on the surface, you can't even see anything visible like a dictatorship. People allowed to do mostly whatever they like to do as long as they don't infringe on the right of someone else. And so, in other words, they learn how to live. They learn how to live and how to live together. And we've had some few older people, too, that worked out beautifully. There's no discrimination once a person is accepted. Also, we maintain a mailing list, and we do try to uh, answer the hundreds of letters that we get. And so uh, uh, there'll be a book out there for people that want to be on that mailing list. And beside it, on this mailing list, uh, you can also, if you want, put down your nationality. You don't have to be ashamed of it. We're not. And we can't imagine anybody else that has to be. And if you're Indian, put it down. And your tribe, if you know it. And uh, we don't think anybody ought to be ashamed because we're no longer ashamed. We're all put here by the same creator. And so that's a way we like to be better acquainted with you if, uh, if you also have the same thing in your heart. And uh, believe that way that we've been speaking and singing about you heard us here tonight. And uh, 
And two, if you have anything to offer, uh, even your good intentions, or your brotherhood, we, we, uh, we sure appreciate that at this time. Now, also we need other things, but uh, won't go into all that at this time. And uh, whatever it is, like I say, even your heart or your good intentions, and great spirit be with you. Oh. Meditante mean? Go in peace. Thunder, Part 8, Metatante, the last of an eight-part program on the Shoshone medicine man, healer, and activist. Selections from the book Rolling Thunder by Doug Boyd were read by Mitchell Harding. Music by the Cheyenne Dave Group with T. Knight Walker, D. Osage, and the White Skunk Sisters, the Little Axe Singers, Rough Arrow and the Phoenix Plain Singers, and Buffy St. Marie. Technical and production assistance by Margaret Fowler, Mitchell Harding, and Amanda Folger. If you wish further information or contact with Rolling Thunder, you can write him at Metatante, M-E-T-A-T-A-N-T-A-Y, Post Office Box 707, Carlin, C-A-R-L-I-N, Carlin, Nevada, 89822. 
This program was produced for KPFK Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles by Roy E. Tuckman and distributed through the Pacifica Program Service in Los Angeles. Oh, oh, oh.